0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the First Loved Podcast. Today is part two of these podcasts that I've entitled, When God Doesn't Measure Up. Initially, it began because of reading this really fascinating and challenging book called The Prisoner in the Third Cell by Gene Edwards, where he repeats Jesus' phrase over and over and over again at the end of the book, blessed are you if you are not offended with me when God does not live up to our expectations. Well, I want to continue in that vein today, but this time I want to do it specifically through scripture. It's Psalm 73. And in preparing for this, I went back and actually did a little review in one of my father's books, together with Doug Stewart, called How to Read the Bible Book by Book. I had a course in the Psalms back when I was in seminary many moons ago. And so there's some things I still remember, but I thought, you know, it'd be good just to review this. And one of the things that I read again, but I didn't even remember the Psalms, that there are five books, 150 Psalms, but there's five specific books. I don't know if you've ever really paid attention to that. But just like our own present hymnals, where the editors pull together the hymns and they group them in certain ways around certain themes, that they're not just songs thrown together in a book. Likewise, those who gathered the Psalms, both the ones before the exile and then after the exile, they grouped them together in these five books and in order to kind of still tell a story and to do it in song and to do it in poetry, where the first two books are primarily Psalms of David prior to the exile and times when... David was, of course, you know, one of the greatest kings um, other than Solomon, but maybe David was the ultimate king in terms of his loyalty to God, where Solomon's wives turned his heart away from the Lord. But David remained faithful. That's what it means when it says that David had a heart after God. It meant that his heart remained loyal to God no matter what. Even though he sinned, he never was disloyal to the Lord in any way in any of his sin. Well, anyway, so the first two books are just talking about God and David as king and just all this wonderful stuff. And that's often where many of us kind of hang out is in those first two books. But there are also a number of laments in them where things are beginning to go south a little bit. Things are beginning to be difficult. And the laments reach their peak in the third book, which begins with Psalm 73 and ends with Psalm 89. And it's at this point where the Psalms here represent both during the exile and immediately after the exile, and they especially are the ones, perhaps you remember, where it talks, how long, O Lord, or will you forever reject us, or when will this change? Or, why, oh God? And they just keep lamenting and struggling with, how can this be? And particularly because their present circumstances are really, really dire. They've come back, and Jerusalem is in ruins, and the temple is in ruins, and most of all, there's no king. Where, in 2 Samuel, God had promised that David would always have a king. And so, they're looking at what is and going, okay, Lord, what has happened? And then the remaining two books, the the book four is relatively short, and it just reminds them through song that even though there's not a king, there's the hope and promise that there will be one, but that God is ultimately still the king and still sovereign over it all. And then the final book is full of anticipation and proclamation of God's rule and God's promise and their hope in God as the great king of all, and that even still, things will change, things will come around. Well, that's pretty true for so many of our lives, is that we have these seasons where things are going great, and then we have these laments where things are not lining up the way we thought, and especially when things are just crumbling all around us, and we go, God, again, I don't understand, I don't understand why you would let this happen, or why you would not do something. Well, Psalm 73 really picks this up and expresses this well, but the beauty of this psalm is that even though it starts off like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to understand you, God, and what's going on in my life, in the end, the psalmist turns it back around and fills it with hope. Because again, the psalmist gets that eternal future perspective, what really counts, what really matters, what's really true. And it's all in this one psalm. So let's take a look at it. Verse 1 says, surely or truly, God is good. God is good to Israel and God is good to those who are pure in heart. And the heart is a constant focal point in this psalm. Surely, truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. What a great opening declaration, and especially to the pure in heart. The psalmist has this sense that, yes, if I'm loving the Lord and walking in His ways, then God's going to be good to me. And he has an idea of what that ought to look like. And as the psalm unfolds, you're going to see that he thinks it ought to be filled with blessing, and those who are wicked and evil and hate God and despise God and don't walk in His ways— They should not experience goodness. They should experience punishment, difficult circumstances. So he starts off, Surely, truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Or I like the New Living translation. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. Have you ever had that moment? climbing, hiking, just being in a situation where you just almost slipped and, man, your heart's racing. You're like, huh, fear. You get scared. Like, this could have been disastrous. Well, he says, you know what? I'm going to tell you, I almost slipped. I almost lost my foothold. I've just told you God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but I'm going to tell you now that I almost lost my confidence in that. I almost lost my belief in that. I almost was really angry with God, or in keeping with the theme, I got really offended with God. And thankfully, I didn't run away with it, and God helped me. Well, how did he almost slip? How did he have this sense of being offended by God? Verse 3, he says, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That's upside down, he's feeling. Wait a minute, the wicked aren't supposed to prosper. The pure in heart, Israel's supposed to prosper. And remember, envying is resenting someone for having what you want, even more so begrudging them that they have something that you really want and wishing them deprived of it. So here he says, I envied the arrogant. I'm like, that's not right. That should be mine. And I resent that you have it. I begrudge that you have it. God should be doing this for me. And I don't get it, Lord. Why are you prospering the wicked? And he goes on, verse 4. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Seriously, God? Why are they experiencing all this physical blessing and no struggles? That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. They're the wicked, not the pure in heart. He says, therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence from their callous hearts, not pure hearts, callous hearts, comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. And out of these callous hearts and evil imaginations, he says, they scoff and they speak with malice. They threaten oppression. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the most high know anything? This is what the wicked are like, he says, always free of care and they go on amassing wealth. Well, blessed are you if you're not offended with me. I mean, this is really offending. It's scandal. It's a stumbling block to the psalmist because he's like, no, God's supposed to be good to the pure in heart. Not the callous hearts, not the evil, not the wicked, not the arrogant, not the ones who scoff and speak with malice and threaten oppression and would actually have the nerve to say, How would God know? Does the Most High know anything? God, why would you allow them to be free of care? Why would you allow them to amass wealth? Why would you allow them to be healthy and strong? I don't get it. It makes no sense. And then here's the really scary line. He says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. (sighs) That's a little scary. It's like, oh, so, okay, why have I followed you, God? Why have I kept my heart pure? Why have I walked in your ways? I mean, is this what it gets me? Is it in vain that I did all that? Because it doesn't seem to make a difference to you. Those who aren't following you, don't love you, aren't pure in heart. The ones whose hearts are filthy and wicked and arrogant and callous are getting all the blessing. He says, all day long, verse 14, I've been afflicted. And every morning brings new punishments. That's where he's struggling with being offended. Being offended, stumbling block, scandal on. But then I love it. He has this sobering moment when he says, oh my gosh. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. <laughs> At least we find out that he's doing this internally. (laughs) And aren't you just glad? A lot of times people don't know what's going on internally when we're struggling. And sometimes, sadly, we even put some of that stuff out there, and it could impact people negatively. But he says, thank you, God, that I did not speak like that. But here's that line, right? When God doesn't live up to our expectations, when we can't understand. Verse 16, he says, I tried to understand all this— it troubled me deeply. Trust in me with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. When I tried to understand all this, he says, verse 16, it troubled me deeply. But then comes the turning point till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. See, as he's looking in the present and it doesn't make any sense, he finally goes and spends time with God and he remembers, wait a minute, this is just a moment. There is a final destiny, both for me and for the wicked. And so verse 18, he says, Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? They're like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. I want to remind you again that it's poetry. It was a song and that I'm just grateful that as much as he takes comfort in the fact that the evil ones will get what's coming to them. But don't ever forget that in Ezekiel 18, God goes out of his way to say how he aches and longs for the wicked to repent, for them to turn, that he doesn't want to see any of them perish. What he longs and aches for most of all is that they would turn. But at least from the psalmist, you know, again, thank you, God, for these psalms where we can go, yeah, you know, they will get justice. And yet the Lord's not longing for justice primarily. He wants to see hearts changed. But because he's loving, he has to be just for those who stay wicked, who stay and live in evil And so the psalmist says, okay, there is a final destiny. There is a future for them, but there's also a future for me. But once again, he has one of these reflective moments, 21 and 22. He says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. So he recognizes, man, my heart, it nearly slipped. I nearly lost my footing I was looking at it from this viewpoint. It made my heart grieve. My spirit was becoming embittered. I was like a senseless and ignorant brute beast before you. I'm sorry, God. I love this psalm because I have moments like this, and I'm grateful that I keep them quiet. I'm grateful that I bring them to the Lord. Because there are just some days things don't make sense. I relate when he says, I tried to understand all this and it troubled me deeply. It's okay, folks. It's understandable to have the struggle. But here's how he finishes it. Yet, I am always with you, Lord. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward, afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you, O God, are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish, and you will destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, as for me, it is good to be near God. And here's that key title for God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Isn't that a great finish? He finally says, Lord, I know you'll do justly and deal justly with the unfaithful, with the wicked. I leave them in your hands. That's up to you. So I want to finish our time today with just saying there are going to be moments in our walk where we do find ourselves deeply, deeply troubled trying to understand all this. It doesn't make sense. It seems upside down. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. It's God, this isn't the way I expected you to behave. I didn't expect you to act. Moments like that will come, and this is where we got to learn from the psalmist. We got to go spend time with God. We got to get near to God. We got to go in and visit Him in the sanctuary, as it were, and ask for Him to give us perspective. Lord, help me to see again that this is temporary, but you are eternal, and there is a wonderful eternity ahead of us. But I love these words. Hear them from the Father's heart to yours. I am always with you i hold you by my right hand i guide you with my counsel and afterward i will take you to be with me in glory whom of you in heaven but me so let the earth have nothing you desire besides me your flesh and your heart may fail but i your god will be and am the strength of your heart and your portion forever. Your heart and your flesh may fail, but I, your God, am the strength of your heart and your portion forever. So don't let the earth have anything that you would desire other than me. Let me be your portion. Let me be your everything. And trust me, the sovereign Lord draw near to me be close to me and I'll get you through this I'll get you through this and oh I pray that you would not be offended by me that you would not be offended with me when I do not measure up to your expectations when you can't understand why I do what I do father we just pray help us to hear that deep into our souls we need your help Lord Jesus we need your help father to really, really, really trust in you and that you are worthy of it. So we love you and bless you and say thank you. Thank you that you have us by our right hand. Thank you that you guide us with our counsel. Thank you that you will take us into glory. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that we have you in heaven awaiting for us so that the earth would have nothing we desire, just you, And though our heart and our flesh may fail, you, O God, are the strength of our hearts and our portion forever. We love you. We thank you. You are good. Amen. Have a great rest of the day and God bless you.